This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Grace Brothers Cash Tills. If you've got sticky drawers, try Grace Brothers Cash Tills. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Br- <clears throat> and I'm Brandon. And this is that does suit Madam, <laughs> a podcast about are you being served? Woohoo! Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Jeffrey. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How are you doing today? Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, excited for MadamCon, not <gasps> MadelineCon. <laughs> MadamCon, Saturday, 17th of July. There That's right, Unanimous. We are um, meeting up on Saturday, 17th of July, to record a live podcast edition of The Hold Up. Live, live, live. From season 10. Yes. Um, we are meeting at... Um, we are meeting at 72nd Street and Central Park West in New York City. New York so City! So that is, that is right by the entrance to Strawberry Fields, if you are so, uh, so acquainted with the area. And so we're going to meet outside, meet for, wait for everyone to come, and then we'll go walk to a grassy area nearby where we can sit that's a little out of the way and gab about one of our favorite shows. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you know um, the Beatles, John Lennon and Yoko Ono Who? lived in the building called the Dakota Building, and it's we're meeting right across the street from the Dakota. The good thing is it's very simple and easy to get there, either just by walking from, like, Columbus Circle and just walk along the park. It's beautiful. You do have to pass one of the Trump Towers, though, but it doesn't last long. Um, you could also take the train. You could take the B or the D line to West 72nd Street. and. Um, uh, well, it'll be a weekend, so the B and the D won't be running. It would be the C. Consult MTA's website, yes. but yeah. So we're going to meet, um, if you're standing in front of the Dakota building, you cross the street carefully. And there's some uh, some benches underneath the trees on the park side of the street. So we're going to be there, yep. and we will have like a printed sign of like Mr. Humphreys or something. So you'll you'll know it's <laughs> us. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Well, what's also fun is getting voicemails from our listeners. Hachi machi. Yes. Um, we heard from uh, superfan Jeffrey with a G. I think it's with a G. If it's not, I just like saying that. Um, so you might remember him unanimous, kind unanimous, as the guy who was having a custom-made uh, Mr. Humphrey sweater vest from the Punch and Judy episode commissioned. Like, how cool right. is that? So he left us a couple of voicemails. Sorry, Jeffrey, for not responding sooner. But um, he mentions that Knockers, uh, a couple of episodes ago, old Mr. Grace said... Um, I used to have. I used to have, uh, back when I was in the. What did he say? When I was in the coal I, I, mine, I'd, I'd, I'd come around your house at five o'clock in the morning and knock you up. Yeah, and we were like, we don't know what the hell that means. And he right. like this. So I mean, the, the the joke was get get you pregnant, right? Right, and we were like, we don't get what that means. And he was and actually a couple of people, uh, three people actually commented and and wrote to us and uh, said that. Um, what that meant is before people had alarm clocks, which were only for rich people, this was like a hundred years ago, 
um, people with long sticks would go to everyone's house who had the morning shift in the mine, like at four or five in the morning, they would like gently tap your window on the second floor of your home because everyone lived on the second floor, slept there, and would knock on the window and it would wake you up. And then that's how you would wake up early enough to go down the mines. Isn't that interesting? So it had nothing to do with, nothing to do with turning on the electricity. Correct. Or the gas. No, this, this predated gas and predated um, oh, right. electricity. Yeah. So thanks, Jeffrey, and all the unanimous people who let us know your infallible, well, your fallible co-hosts <laughs> and no longer modest. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. So thank you. And- and thanks to all of our new um, Facebook fans, to Ben and Shambu and Scott and Noah. You've all done very well. Thanks for joining our Facebook page. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and remember, you don't have to wear a mask, but pay attention to breaking news because the World Health Organization said you do, and the city of Los Angeles also actually just said you do as well. They're bringing back masks indoors. And, you know, it's kind of nice to have it when you don't need it. Right, because you never know what private business might um, might require it, or you might not know whoever's got like, you know, a cold because no one's been in contact for fifteen months, so everybody's immune system is to shit, <laughs> and so the slightest cold that goes around is going to you know spread like wildfire. Well, it's interesting because I read that because we all have been so isolated, which was terrible. It was good in a way because it it rendered extinct three strains of the flu. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because like it didn't have any opportunity to spread, so it just went away. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I wonder what's going to happen with the flu next winter. Um, I try not to make any predictions about the future <laughs> anymore because yeah. it'll be locusts next time. So anyhow, yeah. but yes. Uh, so wash your hands, and if you have a mask, couldn't hurt to wear it. Oh, and get get vaccinated, people. That's that's something also important. And as always. Black Lives, Black Lives Matter. Matter. Yes, indeed. And you've all done very well. So, Mr. Jeffrey, why the hell are we on uh, wasting our poor unanimous time talking about voicemails and things? What are we really here to talk about? Well, we're really here to talk about Series 9, Episode 2, Conduct Unbecoming. <laughs> those, those charges and, were dropped years ago. And this originally premiered on 29th of April, 1983. Okay. And that week in the news, uh, at the top of the Billboard 100 chart was Beat It by Michael Jackson. And on the UK singles chart... Moving quickly right along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the UK singles chart was True by Spandau Ballet. I know this much is true. There you go. Those are the lyrics. Um, The Dow Jones broke 1,200 for the first time. Uh, to put that in perspective, it's currently over 34,000. That's really big. Yeah. So that has something to do with stocks. Good for the people with money. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the the um, Argentine government declared that all 30,000 people who were disappeared from the dirty war uh, were officially declared dead. So the dirty war was the dictatorship from 1976 to 1983 that hunted down people who... Um, basically were anyone that was a threat to their dictatorship. So anyone who supported Perón, the deposed Mm -hmm. previous leader, um, journalists, union leaders, scientists, students, children, nuns, etc. It is a huge thing in Argentina. It is a stain on their history. And every Thursday since then, the mothers and the grandmothers 
of the people who were abducted and disappeared and likely killed have marched on the Plaza de Mayo, which is directly opposite from the presidential residence. Oh, my God. In order to protest. So let me just let me just regurgitate this because I wasn't aware. Sorry, Argentines about yep. this part of history. So. Peron, so that makes me think of Evita Perot, Don't Cry From Me, Argentina. So, like, that exactly. military dictatorship. No, 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 no. So this is the dictatorship that that um, ousted Eva Perón. Okay, so, okay, sorry. Sorry, Evita, please forgive me. Um, yes, Evita and her husband were not dictators, but there was a dictator that came around. Well, and they were, but they were, they actually were. Uh, Juan Perón was a dictator. However, <laughs> he wasn't as terrible as... If you're going to have, to have a dictator, war. have Perón. But then the bad dictator came around and like, nice country, thank you for that. And then, yeah. so those people between 1976 and 83, basically like the main run of Are You Being Served, took over Argentina, Argentina, <laughs> and essentially killed 30,000 people. Yeah. And the- or, or, or abducted them because there have been, yeah. wow. there have been a couple of hundred people who were found and then um, reunited with their families. Um, but it's only a couple of hundred out of 30,000. So that's like, what if, okay, let's make it American because that's how we like to see the world. What if Jimmy Carter um, <laughs> took over the White House from whoever was before him, right? Ford. Ford and was like, I'm just going to kill 30,000 people and then they lose power. And then like the mothers of these 30,000 people and grandmothers like march in front of the White House every Thursday. To this Every day. Thursday, to this day, yeah. Wow. So the organization, sometime in the in the early two thousands, I think around two thousand five. No, uh, I think around two thousand nine or so, they declared that their grievances were no longer with the Argentine government because since then the governments have it's done a lot to a lot. undo yeah. things. Right. So now they just use their time for like social movements. That's great though. But well, they, they still march every, uh, every Thursday. Was it the Argentinian Argentine government that went to war with the UK over the Falklands? Well, yes, it was. So that was in, that was also in the early eighties and that's how this, this dictatorship started, right? They, they tried it to make some kind of a nationalist movement. Let's go to war with the UK. They started the Falklands war and lost it like within a matter of days. Um, yeah. and that didn't work. And so when that didn't work, they decided to start this dirty war, oh, um, geez. internally. Yeah. Terrible. Well, the th- that's the thing about what's cool about looking at this this TV show is that, you know, it was kind of before our time, kind of before, like, most of our listeners were either around or, you know, understanding what was going on in the world. But a lot of shit was happening during the time of our being served. Wow. And it's actually, there's actually a relevant joke here. So, I, um, so let's peek behind the curtain, you know, uh, people, and we do the research and set up the show before we actually watch it. So, you know, we look at the, the news articles and put that in. And as I was watching the show, I'm like, oh, there's actually a relevant joke here. I'm glad that I like, picked this uh, topic <laughs> okay. to talk what about. What is it? So, and we'll, we'll get to the joke later oh, like, okay. in, right. in the episode. Um, and then in happier news, Harold Washington was sworn in as Chicago's first African-American mayor. Okay, because you were doing the happy, sad, happy sandwich that you're so famous for. Okay. All right. Well, that's some interesting, crazy. Okay, so Michael Jackson 
I'm just going to not comment on that for obvious reasons. Spandu yep. Ballet, I will say that's one of my karaoke go-to songs. Maybe we'll that do does it not after surprise me. Con. Don't <laughs> know. Um, okay, well that's cool. So the, a lot was going on the week this aired originally in 1983. A lot yep. was happening, indeed. Yeah. So let's pretend we're opening the it's the series. What do we see on the screen? So the show opens um, with customers getting out the lift, milling about, and Mrs. Slocum starts off by selling 20 pairs of tights to a customer who's on her way to Rome <laughs> for so holiday. Good. <laughs> and it's hardly safe to go to a restaurant because all the men grab No, I, I love you. how Mr. Mrs. Slocum's like, if you don't mind me asking, <laughs> why are you buying 20 pairs of tights? It was so cute. And then it's sort of like the fact right. that she spoke very low was sort of like, woman to woman, you can tell me why. You know, like, do you have right. a problem? What is it? Oh, it was so funny. And then we get the, a take on what's one of Mrs. Slocum's famous lines. What part of Italy did you say yes. that was? You know, where exactly is this pub? And, yeah. Um, and then I love how Miss Brahms is like, I thought about going to the holiday. Where are you going to go, Mrs. Slocum? And she's like, well, I was thinking about the Isle of Wight, but I'm thinking I might go take a peep at the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, which is so cute. The pilgrim's path is oh, never yes. easy, right? Oh, so cute. Um, the customer even says, I've even been pinched in the Via Veneto, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> obviously, just this, what, this, this, this word that sounds nonsensical to English yeah. ears is supposed to be uh, a substitute for her rear or, or like vagina a is what like, I thought. But I imagine Via Veneto is probably like the main thoroughfare in Rome or something. Yeah, it, it's one of the most expensive streets in Rome. It's where the U.S. Embassy is. Like, oh, if wow. we were to localize this joke, we would probably say Rodeo Drive. Okay, all right. So yeah. there you go. But that was an awesome joke. So good. It was a yeah. nice opening opening line. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, lift bell rings, the doors open, and Captain Peacock is late. <gasps> and Miss Belfridge is following right behind him in the other suspicious. left. Right? It turns out that he gave her a lift from the bus stop because he was parked there waiting for her when she arrived. So he is on the make. He is trying to make a move on Miss Bell. Or he was just adjusting his seatbelt, you know. I mean, right. who do you believe? Except that, he, except that he took her to the Ritz for breakfast. Oh, yes. Well, that's... Where, whereas he usually stops over at Beppo's Poor next Beppo's. door Beppo's, you know, for a bun and a coffee. with all of this philandering. Exactly. <laughs> And then Captain Peacock does the unthinkable thing about signing in as having arrived on time. <gasps> we he arrived at nine ten and puts in nine o'clock. Spooner sees it, and so does Mrs. Slocum. Mm -hmm. And you know that they're not going to let him forget it. So uh, it turns out that Mr. Humphreys is not on the floor, and Spooner covers for him, saying that he's up in the golfing department with uh, another customer. And it's um, the third morning that he's late recently. And Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Spooner are worried about him. Aww. Captain Peacock catches Slocum and Spooner gossiping, and she gets reprimanded from leaving her counter. And she thinks about being obstreperous with him, but, you know, reminds her that he is in no mood to listen to match words with her today. Okay. So she then quiets down and, go, and goes all innocent. I'm sorry, Captain Peacock, I just came over to borrow a pen. <laughs> so he gives her his pen, and she opens up the signing book and fixes his entry. Nine ten. Because she was pissed off that she was like, you know, scolded in front of everyone. So then she was like, right. "I'm going to take my revenge." Yeah. <laughs> and and here is the joke. She comments to Miss Brahms, 
He's just like a dictator. If he were in South America, he'd be overthrown <gasps> by now. Oh, that's the uh, the Argentina. Uh, Argentina. That's the joke. I can't say it. Um, joke. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, Argentina wasn't the only country in South America that had dictators well, had during Brazil the 70s and, and 80s. Yeah. It was everywhere. It was rampant. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Humphreys tries to creep in because he's late and he's carrying a briefcase with his initials on it and big, bold letters on the side. As you do. So Mrs. Slocum tries to distract Captain Peacock by saying, oh, my suspender's gone. Like her, her oh, guard belt. Drat. My suspender has gone. Like that, that funny thing they do on the show where they try to act as like they're the not, character like they're and they can't do it well. You know, and then I love how right. it doesn't do the job, and I'm jumping in. <laughs> and then Mrs. It's like I think she says, "Why don't you try, Miss Brahms?" And then she says, "Oh, drat! My suspender has gone." Just like that, I love the little right. gone, like that cute little actor thing that she's doing as an actress, which is always kind of cool. Right? Yeah, she's she's playing a shop person who is not a trained actor right. so obviously they're like their intonation so she does a very good job it's of also it. it's just it's just like the scene where with mrs locum where she, it's her birthday and she's trying to get them in the canteen to talk about right. their birthday she's like was it her birthday well while you all just talk about birthdays i'm going to go grab another whatever like that's so <laughs> good when an actor can act as if they can't act if you follow yes. the meaning yeah yeah <laughs> Um, immediately, Captain Peacock goes over and inspects uh, Miss Brahms' uh, suspenders. <laughs> Turns out she's not wearing any. This gives Mr. Humphreys just enough time to put his coat on the center display unit and get behind the counter. Okay, so they saved the day for Mr. Humphreys. Yeah. We think. Except that, except that Captain Peacock cottons on yeah. because he smells a sandwich in the pocket. <laughs> and he sees the initials on the side of the briefcase, puts it together... Calls uh, Mr. Humphreys to the center stand and starts to reprimand him. Hmm. Humphreys breaks down crying. <laughs> and then they do this bit where he's crying and he's unintelligible and Mr. Spooner is interpreting. And then we get a bit where um, Mr. Humphreys has to break this cry to correct Spooner. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, you, you, you dirty fibber. It was your idea to put the uh, uh, number in the book, right? Yeah. It turns out that Mr. Humphreys has had a tiff with his mother and he's left home and he has nowhere else to stay. This is so cute because he's probably late 40s at this point because it's 1983. They started filming in 1971. So his character is 43 years old at this time if we're count if time stands from when they started because the character was 33 years old when the series started. I love it. I love that you have a spreadsheet. Um, yes, and <laughs> assuming there's no like time space-time distortion, Star Trek things going on. In the there's, no, there's no jump to the left or step to the right. <laughs> um, he is not from transsexual Transylvania. Um, <laughs> maybe he is, I don't know. But it's, it's really sweet that he... He's still living at and he's, home. Well, of course, like, you know, in a lot of cultures and a lot of places and, and countries, you don't leave your house, your mom and dad's house, until you get married. Right. And in 1983, you wouldn't get married to another man, so you just sort of, like, mark time and live a, with your mom. You know, right. it's kind of like the um, a classic gay trope that, like, all gay men live with their mothers because, I don't know, whatever. Well, all gay men are named Mark Rick or Steve. And they love track lighting. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hold on, I just have so to dim my track lighting. Hold on. Okay. So Mr. Humphreys is telling his story to Captain Peacock, who starts to take a little bit of sympathy, but it's with his gruff tone. 
He's like, I am not unapproachable. We've been acquaintances for some time. <laughs> We've been acquaintances for 13 years, Mr. Humphreys. So I think that approachable, uh, unapproachable is the very adjective to describe Captain <laughs> Peacock. Right? It's those forbidding um, eyes. Right, so he tries to comfort Mr. Humphreys and says, stand up like a man or as near as you can get to it. I thought this was kind of sweet. There's been a couple of scenes where we say, there's never been a scene with Mr. Rumbold and Mr. Humphreys just alone. Until, until the, um... Was it the Punch and uh, Judy episode? Maybe. There was a piano involved. Often some other some, some other time when Mr. Humphreys was under strain or something. Yeah, or, and it's, you know, Mr. Rumbold was kind and understanding. It's cute. And then, of course, you're right, because Captain Peacock um, is kind of sympathetic and quite sensitive. But he does it in that very heteronormative kind of like, I have to, like, stick up, stick up, put, put your head up, man. You know, I'm, I'm sure he would have, like, slapped his back. Yeah, that's what you he know, did. That you know. kind and, of and of course... Thing. And, of course, the homophobic joke at the end, or as near as you can get to it, because <laughs> he's light in the loafer, so that doesn't make him a real man. Yeah. But still, you know, it, it, get, it gets a chuckle. Right? <laughs> um, two ladies come in asking for Mr. Humphreys, and one of them's got a pram. And so she says, I've got something in the pram that belongs to Mr. Humphreys. <gasps> and immediately, everyone on the floor assumes that it's a baby. That somehow mm-hmm. Mr. Humphreys has fathered a baby, and that's the reason he's left home. He's gotten some woman up in the pudding club. Pop quiz, what does pram mean? So, it is short for perambulate. Damn it, you won! Oh, <laughs> I thought I got you that time. Right. Ah. Oh, yeah, what for, a pity, uh, the bell's not working. Oh, well. <laughs> I've got to get a new one. Uh, from the word ambulate to walk or to walk around. You know, if someone, if someone has an ambulatory injury, it means they can still walk. You know, it wouldn't hurt you to be wrong every now and then. <laughs> so oh. the woman who does the talking is, is uh, played uh, by Gilda Perry, uh, who is best known for playing Doreen on three episodes of the short-lived Dad's Army, which is another Croft and Lloyd sitcom. Okay. Uh, it turns out that she's his next-door neighbor, and she's brought his Paddington bear from home. So this is, you know, a message that his mother is worried about him because she would, you know, she sent the Paddington bear along animal, the neighbor. His little the 43-year-old kid. It's cute. Right. And she goes, any messages, like anything to tell your mom? And he goes, cancel my raspberry yogurt and I'm never coming home ever, ever again. The fact that so he cancels his yogurt means it's serious. It's permanent, right? <laughs> so we don't know what it is. We don't know what's going on. So it's not a case of him being thrown out of the house. It's him refusing to return home. And we don't know what it is. You know, it's interesting. I know we've talked about the idea of canceling a yogurt. And that joke has been made a couple times. But could you remind the good people what that means? Because as a kid in the States, I didn't understand what that means. Oh, yeah, totally. So um, they, uh, the Humphreys and most people in the United Kingdom at this time still got milk delivery from a milkman. Mm. And the milkman wouldn't just deliver milk. They'd also deliver other dairy products like yogurt. Mm. You, had, you had a standing order with the milkman that you um, could review once a week or, you know, change if you were going on holiday or visiting the relatives or whatever. Or, uh, you know, your eldest daughter moved out because she got married and you could, you know, you <laughs> longer needed a quart of milk a day. You could get by on a pint. Aww. Etc. Right. Wow. So um, we cut down to the canteen, and Captain Peacock and Miss Belfridge are chatting over a glass of wine. That's a little um, suspicious. 
it's a little suspicious, right? It's odd to us to be, you know, drinking during lunch hour uh, with American to Americans yeah. on this, right? Uh, but quite normal to have, you know, one uh, over lunch in uh, in the rest even of the today. World. Would you say? Oh, absolutely today. Mm. Absolutely today. Yeah, you would today. be fired it's, instantly if you did that in the states. In, in, unless you knew, unless you were, like, entertaining clients. Mm, yeah, okay. Apparently, yeah. attorneys are quite famous for having a three-martini lunch, I've heard. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, um, everyone's gossiping about Captain Peacock making a play for Miss Belfridge. And, Captain, um, and Mrs. Slocum says, well, you know, I used to have men coming out of the woodwork to chase after me. <laughs> and Spooner's ready with a quip. Yeah. Well, yeah, she used to spay rent-to-kill to keep them away. I assume that's like um, a raid or something. Exactly. A spray, it's a bug yeah. spray. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, so we see a new piece of the decor, the Yugoslavian tourism poster that is usually on the back wall of the canteen has been replaced <laughs> yeah. with a menu. Oh, we ate this up, didn't we? No pun intended. Yeah. So we get to see what kind of food they can order. Um we're such in, in nerds, they, you realize. <laughs> in, ca- in case they don't want the set menu okay. uh, from last week's episode, right? Okay, so the plates are egg and chips. Delicious. Egg and beans. Egg, chips, and beans. Okay. <laughs> sausage and chips. Liver bacon and chips. Pie mash, roast beef, roast pork, or mixed grill. That's like the most British menu I've ever heard. Right. Nary a vegetable to be found. Like, um, something comes with it, right? Beca- something has to come with it because they're all eating dessert. And there's no dessert on the menu. They're eating, like, a bowl of, of pudding or suet or jelly or blumange. something. Or blancmange, exactly. Um, they also have sandwiches or rolls with either ham, pork, cheese, egg, bacon, or sausage. Okay. And then for drinks, you could either have tea, coffee, or milk. Yeah, there's no dessert. We, we should we should write the BBC and there's no dessert. So the dessert. What's wrong with these? The dishes? dessert and some kind of vegetable probably comes with a plate. If you get like the 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 roast pork plate, for example. Okay, out of okay, this will be good. <laughs> right. Out of the menu items that you've just rattled off, what mm-hmm. would you choose, and what would you absolutely never choose? Well, most of it I would not choose because most of it is things that I do not eat. <laughs> That's why I asked you. <laughs> Um, you would, you would, would lose a do, lot of weight in the UK, I think. I, I would be going out to Beppo's for <laughs> a, a, a cream finger and, and, a, and a coffee. You would just consist only of, of coffee. Right. <laughs> um, so I would get, uh, for the plate, I, I would get the roast pork. Um, okay. I would also get, I would also get the roast beef. I probably would like it because I don't like the way most people cook their roast beef. Mm-hmm. But roast pork, I think, would be a safe bet. Uh, the sandwiches are rolls. I would get a pork roll. I'd get a bacon roll. I'd get a sausage roll. Um, it's just all of the eggs and the beans and the liver and the weird pieces of meat that go into the pie. Yeah. Yeah, and the mix, mixed grill. I will say um, it's different. And I've, I know I've talked about eggs on the show. And this, if, I, I try not to be boring. Unanimous, we do try to keep the episodes exciting. So I'm, tr- guy. I'm trying to not talk about the egg industry too much on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about the way eggs, without getting into it too much, when you have an egg in the States, because of the way we grow chickens and eggs in the States, it's required to keep them refrigerated. 
It's right. It's because we we're required to wash off the waxy shell in order to um, prevent salmonella. Right, and the way we grow chickens on in big factory farms. Oh, that too. It's they get dirty in ways that I will not inflict upon you, your ears, dear listeners. Um, in the UK, they have um, laws to prevent that type of mucky shell. Uh, use your imagination. So they don't have to scrape off or like power wash or, or clean off this natural membrane on the eggs. So as a result, that natural membrane keeps salmonella out naturally, right? So as a result, there's no need to refrigerate your eggs. So it's it's a silly thing, but whenever you're in the UK, if you get a chance, go to Weatherspoons, which is a very popular um, like pub chain, and it, I. First, go find an authentic mom-and-pop pub. If you can't, go to Weatherspoons. But um, anyway, so go and have, like, egg and chips. It's the most kind of Britishy dish, I'd say. Although I think probably the most popular one is probably curry. But it, it, when you mm. have eggs in the UK, they are not refrigerated. They keep them on the shelf because of that, well, of that membrane thing we talked about. When you cook an egg in the States, the egg... Is kind of like the yolk is kind of like a pale orange, you know. Uh-huh. It's not super yep. fresh. It might be a couple weeks old. You know, it's refrigerated and. Uh, but when you have an egg in the UK, because everything's much more local, because it's a tiny island country, really, so they really take their eggs seriously. So the eggs are a lot fresher. And when you crack an egg open, and you look at the um, the yolk, it's like brilliant orange, and it's room temperature. So when you cook it. Um, it doesn't have to go from like 40 degrees up to 70 degrees up to Cook's temperature. It's already there. So it, it cooks differently. I don't know. Maybe it's also because you're on vacation, on holiday, and you're just having a lot of fun. Maybe that's part of it. But when you have eggs, like fried eggs and chips, usually cooked in like beef fat maybe at a pub with, a, with some cooked Heinz beans a little bit of HP sauce and a delicious lager. Oh man, that's some good eating. That does suit eggs. Yeah, Jeff is like shaking his head. He's like, nope, (laughs) you can't make me, not gonna eat it. Somehow I picture you at like five years old right now, but. um, (laughs) Well, well, funnily enough, that is the age where I stopped eating eggs. Um, I pity your taste buds. Because, and and I'll tell the story because I doubt that anybody who uh, uh, knows this person is listening, mm. but um, when I was five years old, a family member <laughs> was babysitting me oh, and tried to get me to eat scrambled eggs. And sh- this person knew that I was a precocious child. I would have never and guessed. and thought that <laughs> if um, she named the eggs after planets of the solar system that I would eat it. <laughs> so rather, so she, understanding that I'm too old for like, op, open up the hangar, yeah, here comes yeah. the airplane. Yeah. She was like, look, this one looks like Venus. And then you said, I I'd just, eat it if it was Uranus. <laughs> and then that, that colored your life in many ways. <laughs> Come on, it was the easiest, lowest joke I had to do That it. was a great, great oh, setup. Oh, it's working so again. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. bell's working, good. Okay. Yeah. No. E- no. Even at that age, I'm like that. That's <laughs> that doesn't sound right to me. I'm not eating the planets of the soul. So system, eat your so. eggs, folks. This episode is brought to you by the American Egg Council. 
<laughs> Please remember to refrigerate your eggs for salmonella purposes. <laughs> so the entire staff is, you know, they're 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 calling out Captain Peacock on his philander. Yeah, because he's like he's not having... even hiding it; it's just rubbing everyone's nose right. at it. Yeah. And he protests. He's saying that there's nothing going on between them. Meanwhile, Miss Belfridge comes back into the canteen and says, "Oh, did you say to wait in the front door, or the back when you or the back door when you're going to pick me up tonight?" Right. So not only are they having breakfast at the Ritz, lunch at the Grace Brothers Canteen, they're having dinner somewhere mm-hmm. tonight. And he's bringing the bottle of wine with him because he wrote his name on it to keep it in the canteen lauder or fridge. That's very suspicious. Yeah. So once again, he says, I have absolutely no interest in Miss Belfridge whatsoever. Spooner goes, oh, good, because she's over there by the lifts kissing some bloke for maintenance. What? Where? <laughs> and Mr. Captain Peacock upset, instantly turns, turns his around. head. Yeah. Okay. Right. And Spooner's like, oh, no, sorry, my mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely uh, setting up a petard for um, Captain Peacock to fall into. Yes. Meanwhile, Miss Brahms proclaims, oi, dinner's nearly over. Where's Mr. Rumphreys? Right, so we get her calling it dinner. And uh, what would Mrs. Slocum say? She would say, lunch. No, Captain Peacock would say, we Captain are Peacock middle class, we lunch. call it lunch. Right. Uh, it turns out that Mr. Humphreys went uh, over to the pub for a quick one. So again, you know, not unheard of in the UK, but um, they, they know that he's not been in a right state because he's so upset. Yeah. Harmon comes in because he's got the news because he hears everything that there's been a punch up down the pub, and so, so been a fist we fight. see yeah there's been a fist fight. You know, someone complained that uh, someone was playing the same song over and over again. I'll do it my way, <laughs> and so by that joke, we have to assume it's Mr. Humphreys. He comes in staggering with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, um, you know, singing uh, singing a different song, not "I'll Have It My Way." Uh, not, um, I'll do it my way by Frank Sinatra. Uh, and he says that he's only had one drink, but it was a leaky glass and the bartender had to keep filling it up. That sounds like an excuse that we'd hear from Mrs. Slocum on one of her nights out with Mrs. Axel. Well, she actually had that same joke a couple seasons past. And we've, we've made the right. point that it's 1983 now. They can recycle jokes because the audience doesn't remember because they don't have VCRs and stuff. So... Yeah, it's a cute joke. I remember, like, again, when I was, like, 21, 22, this was this crazy show from the UK. Like, it colored my life in ways I didn't realize because I would have a beer or, cock- or like, a gin and tonic when I was, like, 25, maybe. And I would, like, getting, you know, pretty close to the end of it, and I would say, oh, look, my glass must have a leak. <laughs> and no one would get it. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with you? But I didn't realize I was just a weirdo. But you all understand me. Unanimous. Mr. Rumbold wants Mr. Humphreys to follow him to his office immediately. There's been, um, and Mr. Humphreys says, whatever you can say, you can say in front of my colleagues. Well, turns out there's been a discrepancy in the till on the gentleman's counter <gasps> uh, for quite some time. Uh, and so Mr. Rumbold hired a detective, and he put two marked five-pound no- notes in the till. Uh, when he went to check it, there were no sales, but the notes are missing. Oh, no. Right. Uh, Mr. Boom, Humphreys pulls boom, out his boom. wallet because he's got nothing to hide and the marked notes are not there. Okay. They all check their wallets and, you know, they're revealing that they've got very little money on them. You know, Captain Peacock has about 15 pounds. Um, Mrs. Silkham has about three pounds and change. Spooner has nothing. Mrs. Yeah. Spooner has nothing. You know, Miss Brahms has like 50 pounds. And then Mr. Hammer walks in. Right, with 120 pounds <laughs> all in 20s from all of the overtime, right? Because even though he's like the one everyone can like, shit on, He's the one with the most money, which is exactly. crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Captain Peacock demands that Mr. Rumbold open his wallet, since they all had to, and finds one of the notes in Mr. Rumbold's wallet. So now we get a little bit of, um, the, the tempo changes a little bit, right? And so it's not necessarily as madcap as the last episode, but we start to see them all pointing fingers at each other. Well, I got the note from you, and you gave me the note, and I got this note <laughs> yeah, from you. Yeah. Right. Um, if we think of, there's a famous episode of All in the Family, where Mr. Jefferson got a fake $20 bill at work at his dry cleaning shop, and they all had to go through like how it came to be because um, Louise had lent Edith some money when they were at the grocery store, and then Li uh, Lionel paid back Mike, whatever. So this is a trope that we see in, in shows all the time. Yeah. Uh, Miss Brahms had paid back a personal advance to Mr. Rumbold, but she got the fiver from Mrs. Slocum, but she got change from Captain Peacock, and Peacock needed to make change from the till, so Mr. Humphreys gave um, him the fives from the tenor. So we know about one, one of the five, but we don't know where the other one is. Okay. Uh, Mr. Humphreys pulls out a handkerchief out of his top pocket because he's crying again about his mother, and then there's the other five-pound oh, note. Oh, no. And so it's on his person, and immediately Mr. Rumbold concludes that he must have stolen the money, and so they'll have an inquiry after work to figure it out before, um, before they make any plans to dismiss him. But it shouldn't take more than five minutes because it's an open and shut Isn't case. that so sad? Aw. Right? Um, Mr. Harmon says that he calls it a kangaroo court, and that's where they jump over the heads of normal laws of justice. Is that really where they come up with the term? I don't think that that's really what it means. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's... Um, I don't know which came first, but I know the term of venery for a group of kangaroos is called a court. And I don't know if it's because it's a kangaroo court that is usually like uh, it's meant to be like a sham. Mm. Well, now that we know what's on the menu, why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea? I'm going to have eggs. I don't know what you're going to have, <laughs> but that's what I'm going to do. So we will be right back. And we're back. I had some delicious eggs and blumange. What did you have, Mr. Jeff? Well, I skipped the set menu. I skipped the a la carte menu. I went to Waitrose around the corner and just got a bit of crumpet. Oh, what was his name? <laughs> and of course you would go to wait, Rose. Where were we? We cut back to the floor, and the committee for the inquiry has been uh, assembled. <laughs> it is important not to call them a jury. However, everyone calls them a jury. <laughs> and they, like, it becomes like at the, uh, Andy Griffith over here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, front and center in the jury, we see the actor Tony Simpson. We've seen and him before. We've seen him several times before. He played Claude in the 50 Years On episode. He's the one to, that forgot to put his bathing suit on underneath his robe. Oh, you oh, are Claude getting forgetful. forgetful. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, Mr. Rodney Webster, who applied for the junior position in the junior. Oh, who lived in Covent Garden in the box with the chimney. In the box, exactly. Right. So, um... We, he's the, he's um, playing Mr. Wagstaff, and the reason he's here is because Mr. Harmon usually brings him to the bus stop at the end of the How day. How sweet is Mr. So Harmon? we might as well wait here. So sweet. I bet, I don't think it's sweet. I think he gets like, so he gives him 5P, he gives him two minutes. No. 
I like Mr. Harmon. He's a sweetheart, and he... I do, too, but does he do anything for money? Does he do anything for free? Well, that would... You know, it would be interesting to see, like... Maybe we could do an episode in the future about times characters acted against their character. Out of character? Right? Like, the scene where um, Mr. Granger leaves a letter for Mr. Grace... And then he thinks it's the last time he's ever going to see him. And the, the stage goes dark. And he says, I'll leave the light on for you. It was such a sweet little... Was that Harmon or... Ma- it was Harmon who did I think that. It was, yeah. I think it was Harmon. Yeah. yeah. He has his moments. I really want to do that. I, I, as you mentioned that, I really want to do that for Kath and Kim. Right? Because, you know, sidebar, unheard of for this show, I know. Please Never. be patient with us, Unanimous. <laughs> Me talking the, 20 minutes about eggs. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the comedy behind Kath and Kim is how detached from reality um, the characters are. Yeah. Right? And so we know that there is a certain part of the universe that is also as detached from, from them. But there's also part of that universe that's very realistic. Right? Point, uh, case in point. The episode where Kel wins Retailer of the Year, and he's invited to all of these openings, and he goes to the grand opening of the coffee cart on a train station platform, (laughs) right? And Eric Bana, who played the Incredible Hulk, is also somehow invited to this VIP event, or maybe he's just waiting for the train. (laughs) So the paparazzi there is there to take pictures of Eric Bana, and Kel is like, no, no pictures, no pictures, please. And the paparazzi is like, but I'm here for the celebrity. Who the hell are you, right? Yeah. So yeah. There, there are moments in the show where there's this, like, little bit of clarity or a little bit of connection, you know. To the real world, uh, I mean. To the real world, right? There's the point where, you know, in the episode before um, Kim gives birth, the one with Sandy Freckle, when they all go to the wrestling, where Kim's telling Brett, no, it's fake. It's not real. It's all made up. So she's got this moment of clarity here. But they're so far and few between. I wanted to do that, have that discussion. So maybe that might be one of those kind of post uh, series, you know, before we go into Are You Being Served Again slash Grace and Favor. That might be something for us to talk about. Unanimous, if you want us to opine on any other Anglophile or Anglophile adjacent TV show (laughs) or topic, New Zealand even. Let us know in um, by writing us an email to that does it madam with an e at gmail.com. You said it too fast. I couldn't get to the bell. Um, so, so back to our show that we're talking about. <laughs> um, Mr. Harmon calls the entire proceedings like he's a referee at a boxing match, which he tends to do over and over again, right? Um, Mrs. Slocum walks in in front of Mr. Humphreys carrying legal-sized papers in a manila folder and she has taken off her supervisory frills and is wearing a barrister's tie. It's all about what you wear around your neck that gives you your power. It's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Meanwhile, Captain Peacock comes over from the other side because Rumbold has chosen him to put the case against Mr. Humphreys. Okay. So this is ma- management versus the working class, definitely, right? Again, classist. So they start, you, even though it's not a jury and it's not a real court case, of course, they try and use legal language, right, and to point fun at it. So Mrs. Slocum, who is posing as the attorney for the defendant, uh, objects to Miss Belfridge being on the jury. 
uh, because she is due up for a raise and she'll do anything to please Mr. Rumble. <laughs> so she gets demoted to stenographer, so she's taking notes. So is, I'm yeah. curious, so you would know this, is if I hire an attorney in the UK, that's my solicitor. solicitor. But if I want someone to represent me in the court system, I have to have a barrister, right? Sure. Sounds good. I, I, I honestly don't know the difference between solicitor and barrister, but uh, but what you said, you know, makes sense to me. But I think you can have, I, I don't know the difference there, but what's, what I love about the scene with Mrs. Slocum is she either acts like a barrister or a solicitor, whichever one it is, or both, I don't know. But she has, it's this cute thing where if you've ever watched a court drama, especially probably like in the 50s, and I, I'm picturing in the South, I, I don't know, To Kill a Mockingbird comes to mind. I just mm-hmm. picture like kind of a portly gentleman mm-hmm. with his vest and he kind of uh, gets Perry, his hands. Perry Mason. Perry yeah. Mason, yeah. He takes his hands and he kind of like holds on to the sides of his jacket. Or, the or his suspenders. On. Or his suspenders, or his, yeah. His so braces, Mrs. Slocum is doing this and it's fantastic. And you kind of see her like walking around like a peacock, like puffing her chest out, kind of like slapping her hands together. So cute. Like she, she's like, this is what... A, a, an attorney looks like when she's when she's um, doing a case. It's so cute. That, she's great. That's that's definitely how you would mime lawyer or attorney if you were playing charades. Totally right. Yeah. Is you know thumbs, uh, two fists at your chest, thumbs up like you're holding onto the lapels of your jacket or your suspenders, making an overly boister speech. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Wagstaff's deaf aid has a low battery, and it's causing some, causing some audio feedback. He can't hear what's happening, so Mrs. Slocum objects, and he gets taken off of the, the jury. No. But not before he says, if I ever saw a guilty man, it's him. And he points the cane at Mr. Rumble, right? <laughs> Mr. Rumble so does look guilty. We started with a jury of ten, now we're down to a jury of eight. Okay. So saying, right? So Peacock explains his case in one sentence and then goes to examine Humphreys. Do I have to? Well, we've got to give him a fair sight, right? Okay. It turns out that Mr. Humphreys' mother has taken up with a man that she hardly knows and moved him into the spare room. <gasps> and that's why Mr. Humphreys has been upset and moved out because he's, her mother has moved this man in and she, she's going to get taken advantage of him. So, he took all the change from his piggy bank. It was just over five pounds, so he changed it for a fiver from the till, and that's how he got the five in his coat pocket, right? Okay. Well, Peacock says that he, ne- he never mentioned it. By his own reticence, he accused himself. So, I thought that he, they had compared the sales to the till and um, that it didn't balance out. What probably happened is they were just looking for the record of the... Um, the sale button, right? Because if Mr. Humphreys were to make change, he would have had to hit the no sale button, which would have caused, uh, would have printed on the uh, internal receipt in order for the drawer to open from the till, as opposed to actually selling something that would have been added Those up. words make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then Slocum says, well, by the time that he sobered up from being at the pub, he remembered what happened, and um, it was too late at that point because the, 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 the inquiry was already decided. But, by the way, Captain Peacock deliberately falsified his entry into the time book this morning, so he can't be trusted either. I love right? how Mrs. Slocum is like, I'm going to get even. I'm just going to like throw all the dirt I have at <laughs> Captain right. Peacock. 
So the <laughs> tempo picks up again, again here because here we have another instance of everyone pointing fingers at each other, right? So uh, she says, you know, are you Captain Stephen Peacock, a floor worker at Grace Brothers? No, I'm a rice pudding maker in Epping Forest, right? <laughs> Trying to be as sarcastic as he possibly can. So why can. rice pudding maker in Epping Forest? I guess Epping Forest, I know that's like a tube station in London. Right. It's, it's um, it might actually not physically be in London. Is that in Essex? Well, I know, I know there's Epping something, Epping... I can't remember. But I wondered if you knew the reason why, like, is that, like, famous for rice pudding? Or I, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if there's some connection between the two or why those two are, were chosen. I just thought he was pulling out the most nonsense, <laughs> um, uh, nonsense occupation and nonsense location he could think of. Well, I should have ordered rice pudding at the canteen because now it sounds there you really go. good. Right. So it it comes to bear that Mrs. Slocum was the one who corrected the time book. So now she's under examination (laughs) for having, because Rumbold thinks that she made it up that Captain Peacock had arrived at 10 after nine in order to, um, uh, in order to put, throw him under the bus. Right. I will say Captain Peacock would have been a good attorney because he just, he laid the trap, let her walk right into it. Yep. You know, would it not be in the time book? Yeah, okay. I'll open up the time book because he knows that she, she corrected it. So Slocum calls on Mr. Spooner to corroborate her case, but Peacock disqualifies him because he falsified Humphrey's arrival time in the oh, signing in book, see. right? So they're all, um, so they're all um, not to be trusted, Everyone's right? terrible. <laughs> so Mr. Humphreys finally asks, you know, can I, can I speak for myself? Oh, go on. I'm dying to powder my nose anyway. So Mrs. Slocum leaves for the restroom and misses the whole rest of the, uh, this bit, right? So he pleads that he's telling the truth and asks each of them, you know, do you believe me? You know, he asks Mr. Hartman, have I been anything but straight? Well, could you rephrase that, please? <laughs> that was such a cute, a cute joke. I don't think we've heard the word straight within the realm of, like, sexual orientation on the show. No. Have we? No. I don't think we have either. Because yeah. I don't think uh, people used to use the word straight as we do now. It's definitely not as prominent as it was then, as it yeah. is now. But, um, you know, it has been around for, for forever. Uh, but it's just more, more prominent today. You also hear people say, no, I'm straight. Meaning, no, thank you, I'm okay. Right. Which is like, like, well, I'm homosexual, but I'm okay too. Thank you very much. But right, uh, like, you know, do you want another drink? No, thanks. I'm straight. Right. I, I don't. It, uh, not necessarily that I, I'm I'm straight edge that I do not drink, but I I do not need another beverage. Right? I guess another I should refund. say something like next time I, I next time would you like any more? I'm like, no, thanks. I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they like raise their eye and roll their eyes and. So Mr. Humphreys does rephrase the question, you know, do you think that I would ever steal anything? And Harmon goes, well, I don't think he's got the bottle. So we've talked about this oh. Cockney rhyming slang before. Do you remember? No, I don't. Uh, I have no idea. Right. So th- this is, a, this is a, a, a roundabout one. It's bottle and glass, which rhymes with ass, which... Is me is a um, a euphemism for nerve or courage. We would say balls in the yeah, United States. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. The, to to have the ass, right? 
Okay. I suppose they, to have balls in a weird sexist way is to like to give you courage because you have balls, implying that women do not have courage because they don't, right. which is bullshit. Um, okay. It's just one of those weird yeah. cockney rhyming things you just have to accept, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Mr. Rumbold calls a vote because... Mr. Humphreys is already on the stand. If they don't find him guilty, then they're going to have to go through this entire proceeding with each member to find out the truth, which is the oddest reason to want to come to a conclusion. So they go to a vote. So it's four guilty, four not guilty. It's a draw. It's a tie. Well, Mr. Rumbold declares that he calls the deciding vote. He votes guilty and asks Mr. Humphreys to resign. Oh, no. Mr. Humphreys is devastated because he didn't do it and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes to leave. And he's always been and, such a good boy. <laughs> and Captain Peacock makes this long speech about, you know, um, it's a quite sad day to have such a, 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 a trivial thing go against to mar a very promising career. And so um, yeah. he suggests the YMCA and Mr. Humphrey says, well, I'm already on their waiting list because he's left home. Yeah. He doesn't live with his mother anymore, right? Rumbold tells Mr. Harmon to change the till and issue new keys because he doesn't trust it. He doesn't know. He, he's kind of doubtful at this point because he doesn't know who really did it. He's found Mr. Humphrey's guilty, and that's enough to, to, to dismiss him. I think the, the YMCA reference might go above some people's heads because back in the day, YMCAs weren't just kind of like a gym. Like, I mean, I know that the YMCA is like a whole community and there's a whole thing and they do some good work. But a lot of people said the, their interaction with the YMCA is as a gym membership or like child right. care. In fact, the YMCA is the largest child care provider in the United States by far. Ding. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, not so much now. I, I think the one exception might be Minneapolis and Manhattan, New York City. They used to have rent rooms to people. You know, the, yeah, the you fa- could rent a room for the night. Right. The fabulous um, gay village people anthem song. of the village people. Um, it's fun to stay at the YMCA because right. there's lots of gay boys having lots of gay encounters there. But, right. but you know, even in today's uh, world, you can still rent a room from the 92nd Street YMCA. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so um, you can rent it by the month. Uh, a lot of foreign exchange students do it. It's also kind of cheap. I mean, they're not glamorous, but... Back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of the YMCA's around the country and the world still did this. Um, not so much anymore. So that's why he says, I suggest the YMCA not to go work out, but, you know, that's where you could get, like, a cheap room. And it wasn't glamorous. Yeah. A lot of the, um, the hotels and stuff in Times Square in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, before Times Square became super clean and nice and Disneyed, um, was sort of the YMCA model where it was, like, an old hotel. You can get it really cheap. So, poor yeah. Mr. Humphreys. But he couldn't even get in the YMCA because he couldn't even get that. on the waiting list. Oh. And Mr. Spooner laments, you know, all that over five quid. And Mr. Rumbold reveals that over 50 pounds have gone missing from the till in the uh. past few days, right? So it's not that. Yeah. So Harmon is, is changing the till and issuing new keys. And he says, wait, this till is faulty. There's a load of notes stuck <gasps> out the back. So it's all of the missing money. So they find out that Mr. Humphreys is innocent. Yay! But because, because he's left home and he's already left the store, no one's going to know where to find him. Oh, no. Right, so they're afraid that they're not going to be able to catch up with him if they chase after him. He ends up coming back for Paddington Bear because he put Ooh. him away in the cupboard after the neighbor returned him, and that's what saves him. 
And Miss Brom says, no, look, we found the missing money. You didn't do it. He goes, well, I told you. You just didn't believe me. Poor Mr. Humphreys. Right. We don't even get an apology or even a um, ashamed look from Peacock mm-hmm. and Rumbold, who were like, we're so ready to convict him. Yeah. The phone rings. It's his mother calling. It turns out the lodger moved out. Like, he let her down somehow, and he's going to move back home. Sounds just like the plot of Beautiful Thing, doesn't it? Mother was going to have some new strange man come in, and her gay son is like, wait a minute, this is my territory, this is my place. And then the relationship doesn't work, and she has to... The the relationship ends. It might be a stretch, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Belfridge comes over and kisses him on the lips, leaving hot pink lipstick all over his mouth. And she says, well, I was always on your side. (laughs) <laughs> and Mr. Humphreys closes with, well, if you do that again, I'll be over on your side. Wow. And that's it. <laughs> and I have to say, Mr. Humphreys looks pretty good in hot pink lipstick. Indeed, Mr. Mr. <laughs> Brandon, he does. <laughs> so what do you think of this episode? Um, it's cute because it's Mr. Humphreys and everything's Mr. Humphreys. Um, again, I hold that season nine is, um, okay, hey, the, the audience loves Mr. Humphreys. Let's just talk about him as much as possible. You know, it's um, yes, this is better than season eight. (laughs) You're so happy. Let's let's put it like that. Let's just put it like that. But it was cute. I mean, there's it's not the best um, episode ever. I think it's really cute to see Mr. Humphrey's drunk. You never get to see him drunk. And you see him like cryy. And it's so sweet. And when he says, well, I told you I didn't do it. Like, how vulnerable is that? That's so sweet. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, we get some great acting from all of the, all the characters. We get a conflict that gets resolved without a deus ex... <laughs> well, you know, the... the no, the deus... The, the, the money in the till, I don't think it technically counts as a deus ex machina. Because it wasn't a person. Um, there was no god. Because it wasn't a person. You know, there's no god out of the machine. Machina, maybe? See what I did machina. there? there you the go. machine is the machine, the till. Um, and we got a, a B storyline that was also relevant and also resolved at the end of the episode. And a joke about Argentina, which l- tied in nicely with um, this week in the episode. With our, with our news segment. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, Mr. Brandon, what are we going to talk about next week? Next week, memories are made of this. Who am I to disagree? Isn't that a Eurythmics <laughs> lyric? I don't that know. Is Eurythmics, uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, it's the one where Mrs. Slocum gets amnesia, and she thinks she's really little Alice, aged four. Oh, okay. This and is if a I don't one. get any jelly, I'm going to make myself sick. <laughs> Which is such a cute episode. We love the episodes where Mr. Humphreys wears, like, gold lame outfits. Or when Mrs. Slocum acts drunk or gets to act in different character. And I think we get a lot of that in the next episode. So does little Alice age four have the same voice as the 20-year-old woman with the 40-inch bust who goes over her vital statistics I'm again? I'm 21. Yeah, kind of. But uh, I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see. We're going to get a lot of um, – uh, you're going to hear a lot of voice um, – Modulation and acting from Mr. Brandon. Well, I will week. say, sadly, I was passed over for the uh, George Takei, My Life and the Stars um, Broadway <laughs> musical, so I was not assigned. So I've I've had to quit my um, my vocal training to sound like this. So, um, <laughs> oh well. But what can you do? 
So one more thing before we go, Unanimous, we'd like to give a little bit of a plug to some of our friends who run another uh, TV recap show <laughs> featuring a show from the 70s. Um, in case you weren't aware, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history a lesson. Never. And let you know that um, Lady Godiva was a freedom writer. Um, <laughs> Lady you Godiva. Know, <laughs> 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 and uh, Joan of Arc was uh, with the Lord to guide her. She let the whole world shook, right? Really? So um, Tony Holmperm, who uh, we were guests on her show a few weeks ago. Naughty and uh, nice does a recap show uh, about the TV sitcom Maud. Oh, Maud. Starring B. Arthur, better known as Dorothy's Born Act from the Golden Girls. Oh, yeah. So look up on your favorite podcast app, um, app and look for God will get you for that, Walter. Uh, so they're on about episode five right now about... Um, uh, about the show mod and and they you know I think it's a very entertaining and hilarious deep dive into each show uh, into the meaning of each show and putting it in um, in a modern context so um, God will get you for that Walter on podcast apps near you yeah um, Tony Holmperm and Tom Cat with two T's um, they're doing kind of what we did like we said we like the show let's make a podcast and they love well, that show let's, and they let's made be a clear. We did not originate the format. We are not the we first television podcast show. I don't know <laughs> where you came from. Actually, I invented podcasting when I was 13. When I recorded episodes. When you would record served. episode onto your tape recorder. And I just listened to it. <laughs> but it's really cute. Um, uh, yeah. It, it, we, whenever we talk to like a potential guest host for the show... I always say, "Hey, why don't you make a podcast?" You know, like we speak to some of the pop, some of the um, super fans, and and things, and on Facebook and whatever. And I always encourage people to make a podcast. And then when you're done listening to that uh, podcast, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter, or write us at that does suit madam with an e at gmail .com. or you can call us on the Peacock hotline at six six two Peacock. That is 662-732-2625. And don't forget to go to Facebook and tell us that you are going to MadamCon. To MadamCon. July, January, June, whatever. It's on the 17th of this month of July. <laughs> yes, but that's fabulous. And as we always say, Mr. Jeffrey, <laughs> you've, you've all done, done very done. well. Bye, Bye. Bye. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All you're being served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. We have the right to withhold the liquidation or withdrawal of payments from your account until all funds deposited in your account have been collected from other financial institutions.